Welcome to Spin It. We're here uncovering the true stories behind every guest's successes and failures. This podcast is real and raw. We're stripping away the fluff and the perfectly manicured bios to get a glimpse into what it takes to be truly successful. What is your measurement of success? I'm your host, Stephanie Malik. I'm a global business consultant, coach, and crisis expert. So to say I have heard it all before is an understatement. I've seen people flip their world upside down with the slightest error in judgment, only to spin it into their most crucial and defining moment of success. On Spin It Podcast, I'm chatting with high achieving executives, athletes, and entrepreneurs to understand how they have turned their failures into fuel to help them grow themselves and their businesses. I want my guests inspiring stories of truth and authenticity to engage and impact you. We're here giving you real stories behind the headlines and to give you a glimpse of the messy reality that is success. Whether it's a hidden addiction, business scandal, an abusive family, a debilitating illness, or simply just navigating life's hardest days, we want you to learn from our mistakes. Life is all in how you spin it. Today, I'll be talking to Mark Champagne, a world-renowned mental fitness coach. Mark is also the author of the book that everyone needs to have on their shelf, Personal Socrates. Mark openly and willingly discusses his own failures as well as his wins. We discuss shutting down his journaling app that reached 86 million people after three years of pouring his heart and soul into it. What it felt like when he pushed the delete button on his laptop. The loss was hard on Mark, but the experience helped him pivot into the realization that he was not living his purpose or living up to his true potential. Today, Mark is a mental fitness strategist, teaching people to work through complex situations using questions and reflections. He also hosts the podcast, Behind the Human. How do we ask the best questions to improve our overall mental health? Listen closely. Mark, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us, especially on the day before your book release. I know, it's wild. I'm Thank you. I'm so excited to have you. I cannot wait to do this. So am I, because honestly, I mean, what I can't. What was the name of the show? We were on, we were double guests on... Um, who you should know, right? Was the, yeah, who, was you, know, who, you, who know. you know, who you who know, who you know. <laughs> and I just remember your energy and just the vibe to that, you know, that encompasses you just left me energized. So I'm excited. I'm equally excited to just be here and, and rock this, start the morning off, I should say, and the week off with your energy. Thank you so much, Mark. I was, I was, I felt the exact same. So I didn't even know. So I'm so brand new to all of this hosting and guesting and all these crazy things. I didn't even know. Trevor called me and said, hey, will you do this? And I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. And then and then I saw your beautiful face and I was like, oh, God, thank goodness I get to do this with someone. But that could have been equally as weird. Like you could have been a total weirdo. Totally right. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, I wasn't. I do my I mean, best. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do, I do have a full head of gray hair at a young age, but uh, I'll take that. But you're right. You never know. You never know. And it really, I mean, I, I say this all the time. I mean, obviously hosting my own podcast, but like I just try to do everything possible to, to leave people excited and, and energized because it really makes a difference. You know, we've all been on the other side of that where you're, you leave an experience drained. And, and that, that takes some serious mental capacity and some serious energize to bring that back. So Mark, let me tell you something. So one of the things, so 
the one thing people go, hey, how can I start right now? Like right now, Stephanie, how can I be a better leader? How can I be a better strategist? Hey, how can I get out of this crisis? Okay. And I always say the exact same thing. I say it with different variances of love, but ask better questions. Stop being so damn lazy when you ask a question. Like ask a question you really want to know. And people are like, but when you started asking questions, I just totally fell absolutely in love. Okay. Your questions were so good. So have you always been like this? Like your whole entire life? Have you always just been really super curious and asking great questions? I don't think so. I mean, I've always had an element of curiosity. I think we all do, especially when we're born, right? I mean, we were born asking a million questions and especially as young kids and whatnot. I have a five-year-old right now who's testing that theory as we speak. So I think what, what, what happens though is like, how do you hang on to that curiosity, right? Or it shows up again in life when we hit like some sort of massive wall of some sort, then we start asking the big questions again. So for me, you know, I was always curious about what was possible outside of, because I, you know, I grew up in a small town in Canada, just outside of Toronto, maybe about four hours from Toronto. And I used to travel to the city though, uh, when I was young and spend the, about a month or so with an aunt and uncle. And that just sparked this whole other level of curiosity because I, I had never experienced like that business world and the traffic of the city and all these different things, right? I just wasn't used to that. And, you know, I think that's where it started, but it wasn't until I really started reading and try to fuel my mind with positive content that I then was exposed to all these reflective practices. And that's when the kind of, I would say, the leveling up of questions and, and really, really studying what makes a good question started to arise. And now I'm now it's like, uh, I also, I used to be really big into photography. I'm still, I still am, but I always joke that the, the curse or the gift of, of being a photographer is that you can no longer see really anything that isn't a photo. Like you always just see composition or light or angles and things like that, which is a beautiful thing to have. And it's a, it's a great piece or a great way to live present and, and mindful in that sense. But I feel it's the same thing with questions now. It doesn't matter what I read, it flips into a question. Okay, well, they're talking about happiness. Well, am I really happy? You know? And when what is happy? And exactly. And, and, yeah, exactly. I do the same exact thing. I drive my kids absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's my job. So let's talk about your relationship with your parents. Do you have siblings? How was your relationships growing up? Like, what was it like for you growing up? I grew up, I mean, I have two. My dad was married before he met my mom. I have a half brother and half sister, but they're wildly older than than me. So we never we were never in the same household. So I essentially grew up as an only child. You know, we'd only see each other on on holidays and occasions like that type thing. And because there was such a huge age gap. But yeah, I grew up in this loving household, only child, had to keep myself occupied and, you know, had some real weird activities, you know, playing basketball by myself, for sure pretending there was a whole team there. There's a lot of scenarios like that, uh, that, that went on. And I think that just helped with boosting the element or training some curiosity that curiosity and creativity, I should say, because, you know, reflecting back now and the work that I do, it's really all around curiosity and creativity. So, you know, those early days, I really do, really do believe that they formed kind of a lot of the the skills that I'm relying on now and that I'm also trying to improve on. So, 
you know, in short, I mean, I just, I grew up in a nice, kind, loving household that really supported me as, as someone that was, was growing, trying to find my way through life. And uh, here we are. So, Mark, let's talk about mental fitness. And, and I want to talk about this with a caveat, okay? People think that mental fitness and mental wellness are the same thing. And now there's all these apps. There's Calm and there's Headspace and there's all these different things. And we'll talk about that and we'll talk about your app in a minute. But I want to talk about mental fitness. Like when you're explaining this to just, and I'm not talking about, Mark, the people that are are really into this and they're reading and they're expanding their minds. I'm talking about the random person that you would meet on the subway or maybe your parents' friends. How do you explain mental fitness? For me, the, the easiest way to describe mental fitness is it's the umbrella that includes really everything and anything that you're doing to train or keep your mind healthy, kind of full stop. So that includes mental health, that includes mental resilience, mental performance, really all of it, right? It's like using the term physical fitness. Under physical fitness, you have a million different sports and exercises and modalities to achieve that, right? And this term came up because, I run, it's, it's funny you mentioned Calm because it, Michael Acton Smith over at Calm, one of the co-founders, he was one of the first I, I ever heard speaking in this language. And it was at a time when I had started the app, the journaling app. And I just remember speaking about journaling or reflection because this was a practice I was doing for a decade, essentially. And people just kind of glazing over thinking like, oh, you're talking about the 12-year-old girl, right? In, in you know, her, her diary about the boy at school type thing, right? And like, there's nothing wrong with that. But no, I'm, I'm talking about people asking and, and, and reflecting on powerful questions, like the act of reflection. So the, the idea of like, how can we talk about this a bit differently so people resonate and understand? So the idea of mental fitness came about in that, in that sense, because again, we can all relate to physical fitness. You can draw the parallel. So when I was looking through all of the research and I was looking through the journaling, I reflected on my own process. I have kids 26 to 11, and they've all had some sort of therapy as well as myself as well in growing up. And one of the things that the therapist from a young age, from 17, 18, 19 years old, has always said, Stephanie, journal. And I remember, Mark, I would get there and I would be like, okay, I've got this really beautiful journaling and I know what I'm supposed to do and I put the date in and all. But then I really didn't know. Am I pouring my heart out? I hate to say this. Is there a prompt? Am I looking at a question? Am I bullet pointing? Am I like sad, happy, grateful? Like, what am I going through and doing? And I remember I would get so overwhelmed. I would just close the book because I was going to do it wrong. So talk to me a little bit about journaling and, and doing it right. Yeah. Well, a blank page is, is daunting, obviously, right? It's, it's <laughs> when you talk about it, it seems silly because it's like, well, like, how can I not just write in a, in a journal and kind of unleash whatever's on my mind, but I've been there as well. It's just, it's daunting. So that's where I think, at least for me, prompts have been so helpful because a good prompt pauses that internal looping narrative. And it gives us that micro pause to either write it out or do something about that or make a different decision, for example, right? So when it comes to prompts, for me, and again, a, a quality prompt, it's not like that. I don't think there are questions that are of less quality than others. What makes a quality prompt is when they're well-timed in your life, right? Yes, that's so true. 
So that's the thing is that if you can find the prompts, you know, if you go back to those times when you were when you were trying to fire up that practice, if you had the prompts that really resonated with where you're at in your life right now, you just start going because they 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 relate, right? They work. That's such a great. You know what? I I didn't even think about that before, but you know what? That's so so one of my pet peeves is when people go, "Hey Steph, can you recommend a great book?" And I'm like, for who? Like, wh- like where? Wh- I mean, like, and they get they get frustrated with me, Mark, because like they'll say, "Okay, can you rec- rec- recommend a great leadership book?" And I'm like, "Are they first time leaders? Are they global leaders? Are they leading?" And then they they just kind of look at me and they're almost frustrated and annoyed because I ask ten more questions before I'm going to get to any sort of book recommendation. I mean, I take this really seriously that you asked me this question. I'm not going to just throw out you know whatever blah blah blah. Do you frustrate people and with with the the Socrates way of doing the questions, do you frustrate people whenever you do this? Because you're so gentle and you're so kind and you're so fun. But I could see with your close friends trying to connect and you they're just trying to get to the point and you're like, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Yeah, how, yeah. how do you do it yourself? Well, I think, you know, when it comes to the questions, it really boils down to, to your point, like understanding where they're at, right? We look for the recipe or the formula right? On, okay, well, if this meditation practice is working for so-and-so, like, what do I need to do? Tell me exactly what I need to do. I'm dedicated. I'm going to do it, right? And it's, I think it's the same thing when it comes to reflection or journaling or any of these prompts. Okay, give me the questions that are for sure going to, you know, unlock this or prime my mind or whatever, whatever the case may be. And there are some consistent ones that you can use, right? Like, how do I want to show up today for myself and others? Like, that's a pretty good staple. Or what can I celebrate about the day or celebrate about my life? I mean, you can't go wrong there, but there's surface level questions in terms of, of where you're at, Right. So for me, it's just, again, if someone's asking me this, especially when it's related to the book, I said, if I've done my job as the author of this book, your favorite question this month should be wildly different in two months from now. That's just, you know, the question that pulled me out of a depression was, what do I want for my life? If you ask me that right now, I mean, it'd be a good check-in and it'd be, okay, I'm, I'm still on the right path or I need to course correct a bit, but not to the point where, that stopped me from feeling physically ill in the morning or not knowing what was next and all of this stuff, right? So that was incredibly powerful for, for me. So for, for others asking that question, it's just first identifying, okay, well, where, like, where are you at in your life or, or where are you seeking knowledge or clarity or like, what do you want, for example? And then we can get into, okay, well, maybe you need some mental priming prompts that'll, you know, flip you out of an emotional state to get you back motivated and and eager and excited and curious. Or maybe you just need, you know, some gratitude type practices to, again, just cut the narrative and then reframe and get back into it. And maybe you're working on a brand new business or brand new product and you just need that imagination type mindset where imagine if this happened and kind of priming your mind into that creative mode. Like there's so many different paths we can go right back to anyone asking you for a book recommendation. Be like, uh, next question, please. <laughs> I, it's so, I mean, it's it's actually, I, I know I've just gotten fully annoyed. Like pe- people are so frustrated with me because, you know, you go on a podcast and they're like, hey, tell me your favorite leadership tip. And I'm like, am I talking to a millennial? Am I talking to somebody who's like, I, I could never, am, like, I just feel like it's such a blank 
canned, effortless. It's just not okay to answer a question just because somebody asked that question. I want to meet somebody where they are. You know, I want to meet them where they are and I want them to feel like I actually connected and engaged with them and actually gave them something. I can't just throw out a random book tip. What was your measurement of success for this book? Oh, this has been fun because this, you know... (sighs) What's been fun about this or going through that process of reflecting on, on, a, on a question like that is that I've noticed throughout the last, let's say, three or four years of post-big app, uh, journaling app space, which I'm happy to obviously provide backstory on that, that the definition of success has wildly changed. And I, it, what, what, what I like about that is that I'm like, wow, so these practices are actually working. <laughs> You know, like I've known that for a decade in, in, in a certain capacity, but now I really can feel it because obviously I want, you know, as many people to consume the book and, and get what they, they need out of it because I know the, this stuff works, right? And I've seen questions literally save a life, upgrade lives and, and, and everything in between. But the biggest thing is that I want to be able to go through this whole launch experience present and clear. Because it's already starting to happen where there are, you know, an opportunity here, or maybe there's something brewing here. And I know enough from these practices that I need to be clear enough to say, hell yeah, over there. Or, you know, that looks kind of cool and it'd be fun maybe in the moment, but that's not actually pushing, you know, like my desired life forward or what I'm trying to build, you know, what kind of ecosystem I'm trying to build with this, this content. So that's the measurement of success is, is to actually enjoy, you know, conversations like these and, and also be present that I'm sure I'll write other books, but I'll never get this first experience in this way again, ever. You know, there'll be other launches and things like that, other products and, and whatnot, but I don't want to rob myself of this experience, right? Like this is the success, Yeah. And I think that that's why I was so excited. So let's take a step back. Okay. So you're literally launching Personal Socrates tomorrow. Okay. And you agreed to come on this show the day before, which, you know, it's kind of funny, Mark, I took a step back and I was like, what would I be doing? Like, what would I be doing? And I probably wouldn't go on somebody's show that I didn't know, but I probably would go on somebody's show who had such connected energy and had so much fun And I was so honored that you said yes, especially the day before when you do want to stay present and you do want to stay kind of available and keep your own agenda really focused. And I was so grateful for you doing this. And I just really wanted to give you a heartfelt thank you for coming on and talking about Personal Socrates. And I want you to give the listeners just a snippet of what they're going to get when they read this book. Sure. Well, thank you. I mean, first of all, though, like this is what this is what energizes me. So it, it it was a hell yes. Like, let's do it. I don't care when it is. It could be tomorrow, too. I could spend all day on social media at this point sharing things or resharing, but I'll go crazy doing that. Right. So for me, it's like, again, what gives me energy? This gives me energy. And then this will give me energy to do the other things that are kind of unknown and whatnot and different. So just to answer your question, the simplest way the, the objective of the book is to meet people where they're at in their lives, no surprise in terms of what we've been talking about, with a prompt, a profile of a person, whether that is Jane Austen, Maya Angelou, James Clear. I mean, there's about 40 plus profiles in the book to land or resonate with that person and story and or prompt. 
And the idea is that there are two to four page profiles. I wrote them intentionally to be short so that if you don't have a mental fitness practice or routine or ritual, that this can be it. Or if you do have one, there's loaded full, there's hundreds of questions in the book that are designed to, you know, to upgrade that practice. So the idea, it follows the Socratic method, which Socratic, you know, what, which, which was, which was my original, uh, response when my good friend, Joey and publisher of the book and, and founder of Baron Fig said, Oh, this is the Socratic method. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, I know of Socrates, like most people, and that's about it. Right. So we can go into that later, but I mean, the idea is that how do we use questions as a narrative or, or as a language in a better way? Because we're all asking questions day in and day out, but are we asking the right ones, the best ones, and are they the highest quality? Are they well-timed? Like That's when it becomes really impactful. And Mark, to add to that, before I go on, one of the things that you said to me, or you, you didn't say it to me, you said it on the show that we were on, and I, I've really thought about this every single day since, okay? And I, I've always known it. I've always known it. But the way you said it was so, it was so clear and so concise. You said we're one question away from changing our entire path. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I experienced it, right? One question. I mean, all the time. every college student, every older person, every person who's flipping careers for the 94th time, like one question. One question. And one question, Stephanie, I have to add, it's, it, it could be one question in the sense of massive life change, like in, in the sense of what I was going through with this whole app experience and, and saying, okay, well, what do I want for my life? That paused the, the narrative, pulled me out, had a plan, and then step by step got to kind of this place. Or you feel shitty right now, right? Who can I celebrate in my life? Take a look at the last five text messages grab one of those people, just send, hey, just thinking about you, hope you have an amazing day. Just that one thing, one question of, of who can I express some gratitude towards completely changes your mood in an instant. So we're always, you know, this is what I, I love about questions. We're always one question away from just a completely different mindset, mood, opportunity, the way we think, what is within my control. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of stuff over the last two years, Right if we pause all the things that we can't control and just focus on, okay, well, I can react in this way or I can take this next step forward, it's just one question that completely, completely can change the outlook of the day. Yeah. So, Mark, the book is very interactive with prompted questions and practices that readers can use. Why is it valuable for the readers to actually interact? So, a lot of times people get these interactive books and they they just kind of read through the profiles like you were saying. Why is it important for people that get the book to connect and to actually go through the prompts of the book? Well, I'm biased because this is how I've been reading books or, or do my best to read books in this way because to your point, you can just read it and then it becomes a book that sits on the shelf. There's probably something in there that sparks some sort of imp- inspiration or maybe it didn't, but now it's on the shelf. And I just found, like, this is going back a decade ago when I was getting up earlier and started this journaling practice. At the time, I was essentially reading blogs or books and highlighting things and stopping. And whether there was a question there or not, or if I was forming that into the question, then applying that to where I'm at right now, right? And because then, and it's just like, if you, you know, how you select your books, Think of the areas or what you're working on right now where you need some knowledge or some guidance and go there because now that's applicable. 
right? And you don't have to read the whole book. You know, go to go to the section that makes the most sense for you right now and you get the most out of it versus checking off that you read a hundred books this year. Right. That's less valuable. That makes so much sense. And I also feel like it's a lot more undaunting if you go to what's going to apply right now. Because like you said, I mean, it's not that the other part of the book is not going to apply later or when you get out of this, you know, kind of maybe this chaotic feeling that you're having. But right now, if you go to the most applicable, that book becomes such a main resource in your life. That's incredible. Totally. Well, and then, so the guidance with this book, with Personal Socrates, is that read the introduction in one sitting. It won't take you very long. And then from there, scan the table of contents and take, again, take a look at, is there a big prompt there that, you know, pulls you in or a person that attracts you? That's probably where you need to start, right? And again, I, you know, I just finished recording the audiobooks. I know how long they are. They're, you know, seven to 12 minutes. I mean, we're not talking a long time, but they're loaded full of not just the prompts, but also the mental fitness framework to support the reflection and the prompts. And they're all different. So it's it's interesting because I remember at first I was kind of doing this in a sneaky way that the mental fitness and the journaling was kind of hidden behind the the stories and, and the practices or the stories and like the uh, the inspiration. But then it just became, uh, there was no hiding this anymore. I mean, it's almost impossible not to interact with the book, right? So if write in it, think about it, use your journal, your notebook, whatever, leave yourself an audio book, a post-it, like I don't care. I, I've disconnected from that concept of journaling being, I need to have all the journals lined up on a shelf or I need to only use this one app for the rest of my life type thing because that's not the practice. The practice is reflection. And we all reflect in different ways. And you know, when we can stop and, and bring a little bit of stillness in our mind, then we blow out all that mental fog, right? And we allow those practices or those, those prompts to, to work their magic. And next thing you know, like, yeah, that's the decision we need to make because it's freaking clear. Exactly. Because you didn't have so much minutia and crap in your head because you actually were able to clear it out. You're exactly right. Mark, what was the most difficult part about writing this book? You know, the biggest thing was that the book is full of profiles that either if the person is still around today, I've, I've interviewed them. But for the ones that aren't like Picasso or Jane Austen or Maya Angelou, I know I had to do the research, obviously. And, you know, those people were selected for a reason. Every, you know, the idea is that everyone would recognize those names and they're all very different in terms of what they did in life. But I had to constantly, and so thankfully I had a really good editor to, to help me on this, but had to constantly remind myself that I'm not writing a biography on Coco Chanel or whoever, right? There are great authors that have already done that. But it's so, like, how do you... How do you provide the quality profile on someone, you know, these people that are so historic and have done so many great things for the world? How do you do that in a two to four page written profile, right? So I had to constantly remind myself that I'm just, I'm pulling inspiration from their work and their life and, and presenting it through the lens of mental fitness and the questions that either they did ask themselves or the questions that were inspired by their story so that we can, again, take that information just like we'd you know, read a biography, but then apply it directly to our lives. This week's Spin It shout out goes to Brett Packard, who says, exceptional discussion that gets to the root of Hala's success, inspirational through and through. I love the storytelling by both Stephanie and Hala, two genuine and successful people. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Brett. 
Please keep listening and can't wait to hear from you again. Learn how to command every room you walk into with Executive Presence Elevated, led by me, Stephanie Malik. After 25 years as a business transformation and crisis specialist, I've learned just how important executive presence and business acumen is to gaining you unshakable confidence, lasting composure, and strong communication skills that will take you to the next level. This exclusive online program is perfect for the mid-level managers looking to fast track their career in just six weeks. I know this program will transform your belief into what is possible. Find out more by going to stephaniemalik.com forward slash elevated. So we're going to talk about now the thing that is most publicized about you, which is the app. And that's the reason why I kind of flipped it because I wanted to actually, I wanted people to really connect with you before we talk about the app. And the app is profound for me for a lot of reasons. And I'm going to tell you again, you know me, transparent, okay? The sheer numbers. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say. You started Keo, a digital journaling app back in 2016, but you had to shut it down in 2019. What was that like to let this project, which you had dedicated so, so much time and energy to, let it go? And before we start talking about it, because I have a few questions around this, I want you to share with our listeners the numbers. Sure, sure. Because that for me, I had to take a step back. I was like, wait, wait, is there anything that we could do to go back and save this again? What is going on? This is crazy. (laughs) I've had this happen too before where people are like, uh, where investors would come up and be like, where were you you three years ago type thing, right? Exactly, exactly. So Keel was one of, at the time at least, one of the first guided journaling apps. And what I mean by that is just if you think of, we've we've mentioned Calm already, but Calm or Headspace or Insight Timer, like some of the big meditation apps that we're aware of that guide people through that practice, uh, there was nothing like that on the journaling front. So, and I was in a, I guess, eight or nine year corporate career at that point in the pharmaceutical world. And I always had that journaling practice as we've been talking about, right? That was the thing that was helping me throughout my career as well as life and whatnot, and just grew really frustrated with the digital tools that were available at that time, because I was traveling a lot. And for me, I was using my phone or an iPad to you know, do this practice. But it got to the point where I would copy a question somewhere, paste it into another app, and then it was just so disconnected with the flow. It was kind of interrupting the actual reflection. Because again, I was taking knowledge or guidance from all types of inputs and then trying to apply that to my life, right? So then that's where the idea for Keo was was born. And I I flipped my brother-in-law an email at that time. And um, at that time, he's still my brother-in-law. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm all, well, that's good. I was just going to ask, that was my next question. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The family is still still strong. Flipped him an, uh, a message just saying, hey, here are my frustrations over the last you know, decade essentially doing this. Here's what's kind of happening in the space. Seems like people are interested in being guided digitally just from what I'm seeing in the meditation world. Do you want to try this out? And so we started. We started trying it out. And I was mind mapping the app kind of evenings and weekends, testing it out in some conferences that I was already going to for my day job. And eventually got to the point where I realized, especially with my my job, because I was in brand management at the end, that, you know, we could build this thing, release it and see what happens, or we can build it and put an actual plan and solid brand strategy behind it, which is what I was doing for these medications and whatnot, right? 
And I couldn't do both at the same time. It just wasn't possible. Like I didn't have the bandwidth. So that was the point where for me, the question at that point that was the most important was what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> and, the, and, you know, dun, the, dun, if, dun. yeah, if, if the worst, <laughs> you know, did happen, well, I can just go back. I wasn't leaving a job where I was unhappy driving into work. That wasn't the scenario. Things transpired in a different way, obviously, and I'll share that in a minute. But long story short, we built this thing, went through a ton of ups and downs, hurdles, this, that, develop, development teams, all of these different things that you would expect in a tech app startup. We reached 86.9 million people. In terms I'm sorry, of, wait, what? Say that one more time. 86.9 million people in terms of app store impressions. So, you know, people that saw the app, which translated into, I think at the end, over 200,000 or so downloads and kind of community members, for example. So it wasn't insignificant, especially given the number of apps that were out there that, you know, so for, and we had no like we had no experience in this in this world. So once those impressions started to happen, which I'll never forget, because we, we were having our first like team meeting, kind of everyone together, because everyone was scattered around the world. There was only five of us, so it wasn't a huge team, but everyone came together in Toronto, Canada, and we we're you know doing typical, let's review the strategy, see where we're going, blah, blah, blah. And we pulled up the Apple dashboard. And at that time, I think we were a couple weeks into launch. And you know, it was just, there were some metrics there, but all of a sudden there's this sharp uptake and it, it had said 1.3 million impressions. And we're like, what the hell's happening? Like what, I was doing a lot of podcasts and we were trying to get, you know, press and stuff all unpaid, but there was nothing that dropped that, you know, said, okay, yeah, for sure. It's, it's the Today Show or something that, you right. know, did <laughs> exactly. that. Right, not that we did that, but it, it, it and it was just, Apple was starting to feature the app around the world. And it was out of Saudi Arabia, out of all places, that we got a new app of the day or app we love or something. And then then the next country and the next country, and it just started snowballing. And quickly, we were over this 10 million impressions and then approaching nearly 90 or 100 million. It was nuts. But where the train kind of derails a bit is that it's great that we had that traction. We had all that hype. And then we started to have really awesome brand collaborations with people at like VaynerMedia and LinkedIn and Lego and stuff like that. Again, just bringing in their content and their prompts, right? Just, just to, to show like, hey, this stuff, like strategists are using this. The chief operating officer at Lego, he's using this as well. I mean, it's accessible to all of us. But where, where we fell short was we weren't app developers. And this was our first rodeo in that space. And as fast as people were coming in, people were leaving just as fast. And the people that were staying weren't paying for the subscription, for the, for the premium content, for example. So our business model was failing, quite simply. And at the same time, you know, we, had, we were essentially following for our own hype because it was exciting and you know, motivating to get all these, these features and these, then these interviews and collaborations. But that didn't mean... It really didn't mean anything if we couldn't dial in some sort of predictable revenue model, right? Let's pause there for a second. I think that's so important because obviously coming from Silicon Valley, coming from, you know, venture capitals, coming from the time where, you know, all of a sudden you have a $1 billion valuation and people are like, wait, what? You know, just the fluffiness and the frothiness of what this looks like. But I think you nailed it. I think that 
one of the biggest things I had to learn growing up through Silicon Valley is not to drink your own Kool-Aid. Don't fall for the hype. Continuously, continuously ask more questions and get more data and continue to prove out your theory because as you evolve, not only do you have competitors, but you have more savvy users, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think it's amazing that you, not only that you did this, but you did this in not being an app developer, not being a techie, not being all of these different things. And then you actually understand where the demise was. You know, you really actually understand that. My question around the demise is, what did you do? Before we talk about how you felt, what did you do to try and get some of those people to stay? Was there surveys? Was there a reach out group? Like, what were you doing to try and get these people reengaged? Yeah, well, right before we shut the app down, it was that which made it even harder decision. We had conducted our first legit round of user research, actually brought someone in. You know, we were sitting behind the scenes, kind of on Zoom calls, listening to how people were reacting to the app because we built this for me essentially at at the beginning, right, to solve my my problem. So it was very intuitive to me on how to use the app, obviously, and and like everyone on the team as well, because we had we had built it together. But there were there were shortfalls in in someone coming in like naively into this space, and they were getting confused in certain areas and things like that. So what made it really hard to then decide to shut this business down was we actually had a pretty solid roadmap forward that was backed by some good market research and user research. But at that point, we were also weren't naive to the fact that we weren't going to solve for that problem in the first iteration, or I shouldn't even say first iteration, in the next iteration. And what wasn't clear was that how many more of these iterations do we have to conduct or go through before we even come close to even just breaking even on our expenses? Because we were tapped out at that point. And I wasn't, both myself and my my brother-in-law, I mean, we had young families. Like we weren't, you know, in a dorm room kind of just crushing it and, it, you know, working 24 hours a day. We, you know, we had families and we're, it was important that our families were still doing okay. And it was starting to spill over. At that time, I remember, I think my son would have been close to two years old. And you know this, having kids, they pick up on everything. I mean, we did everything possible, obviously, to shield the stress that was that was in our household. But I knew, I knew he was he was picking up on that. And so that, you know, that was starting to weigh on me. And somewhere along the line, too, I lost the conviction to continue forward with this medium or that vehicle, not the conviction to stay in the space of mental fitness. That was 100% clear. Like, and that's why I said, you know, back to that question, like, what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst did happen because now going back to that previous industry did not at all feel aligned because I knew that this was the space I was supposed to be in. But I just deleted the business or app that was keeping me in that space. First time in my life, I didn't have any type of plan forward. Before that, it was, you know, go to university, study business and marketing and communications, got that job. Every two years, I had a basically a promotion of some sort. The next step for me was, I think, moving to Europe somewhere in like a global capacity or whatever. Like it, the, the path was clear. But now is, okay, just deleted this the metrics are crazy in the sense of how many people were reached. So the, all the wrong questions popped up. Like, how could we fail at such a colossal level? What would our advisors think? What would all my ex-colleagues think that I remember telling them, hey, I have this idea. 
I'm going to go try it because I would regret not doing it. And them looking at me kind of with those eyes of, I have an idea too, like you're so courageous for doing it. But here I am, you know, what, like, what do I have to show for it at that time, right? And then again, I, we, we had moved from Montreal to Toronto just to be in the, the largest city in Canada and close to investment and things like that. Also the most expensive city in Canada. So now living in a place that we can't afford, there's extreme stress. It was always supposed to be a temporary house that we were in. So we weren't really in an area that like kind of lit us up and just felt sick, essentially, like in terms of like, what now, right? But thankfully, with these practices and all the in- hundreds of interviews with people because of the podcast and because of the, the app content, there was a realization of, oh, wait a second, the people that I've been chatting with they're asking a very different set of questions. And they're asking, in, in times like this, they're asking questions that are progressive and that pull them out of a scenario like this. And that's when I landed on, okay, well, what do I really want for my life? Like, what does that day look like? Like, how far am I from that? Who can help me then? You know, what, what's one thing I need to do? And that, that gave enough of a pause in that kind of anxiety loop that I could get a little bit more clarity, a little bit more clarity, and then dial in the present moment, gratitude. Well, wait a second, I'm in a co-working space in Toronto. I deleted the app on a laptop that most people in the world don't have. You know, just be grateful for that. Just to cut for a second to then be able to, okay, you know what? Life isn't that bad. What do I want to do? So it's just these micro moments and then eventually got me out of that, you know, that looping narrative and got me to a place where I was waking up motivated that, okay, here's the plan. This is what I need to do today. You're so, so strong, Mark. You're so resilient. You're so happy. You're so positive. I mean, you're so grateful all the time. I want to talk about when you're not grateful. What did that feel like? The depth of your soul. What did it feel like when you deleted? What were you thinking before you deleted? What were you thinking right after you deleted the app? Well, the biggest thing was just the the relationships, you know, I think we open things up or this conversation up around the idea of me wanting to leave people energized and excited and motivated and all of this stuff. And, you know, there was the relationship with, with my brother-in-law and co-founder. I mean, we ultimately got to the same place where we knew that it was the right decision to, to shut it down and kind of do our own thing. I don't, he didn't, we didn't reach it at the same time frame, right? So there was like, he was like, no, no, we, we still got this. Like, and, and we had such a great relationship in terms of like, when someone was down, then I'd bring them up and vice versa. And, it, you know, it was so powerful, but that was the first moment where it's like, you know what, I, it just doesn't feel right for me. So there was that, that was weighing on me. So I, you know, I wanted him to feel happy as well. Then there was my family and the colleagues and, and again, and then all of the users of the app, that was the hardest because we're not talking about a parking meter app. We're talking about people putting their their deepest thoughts. And I had I, I'll never forget this one. One one when the email went out saying, "Hey, we, we have to shut this down. We're giving everyone a month to you know figure out what you want to do. In the meantime, we're doing everything possible to create some sort of export feature because that was later on in the roadmap. We didn't have it. And this one mom replied, just you know, a nice reply, but she basically said in the undertone that I documented the first six months of my newborn's life in here. And that's just like, you might as well just taken a knife right into the heart. So it was just a moment or a time where 
I felt like I was letting down a tremendous amount of people, including myself. And my family, obviously, they always had my back and, and everyone. And but you still, you know, they were they were believing in me. They they were on that hype train as well. Like, wow, this is amazing. And here we are. Now what? Right. So those are the moments. I think, you know, I, it was I was too fogged with fear and anxiety to actually appreciate the learning in the lesson at that time, which was around, okay, well, you know, what, like, why did this fail in, in that sense of the word? Because I, I think it succeeded in, I would say, 80 plus percent of the whole story, because it's the only reason I'm talking to you. It's the only reason I get lit up from these conversations. It's the only reason I have this podcast that's doing well, the book, all of it, right? So, and the biggest one that I've found the work that really lights me up because I know I've been there and seen so many others completely change their life from this stuff. Not just their life, but their their business, right? Like I wish I had all of these, th- this is what I talk about on the corporate side of things. I wish I had these practices as a brand strategist because when you're dealing with brands, you have all these inputs. You've got sales coming in, you've got market research, you've got global numbers, you've got this, that. You've got to decipher and put a strategy together that is clear and that it can be communicated and that's going to succeed. Really hard to do that if your mind is fogged, right? Really hard to see the right decision if you're, you know, there are relationships that are stewing in your mind or that you're, you know, you have anxiety about, you know, meeting expenses or whatever, whatever it is, or someone sent you an email and pissed you off in the moment. And then that carries into the rest of the day, really hard to make good decisions like that. So that's kind of where, where it all came from. And, and thankfully, because of the practices selfishly from the past work, was able to pause all of that and get to a place of gratitude for that that whole, let's just call it explosion of my life really at that time. And that we're still, you know, we're still coming out of that in, in many different ways. But the difference is with this, like with the book, for example, the lesson is the book is showing up on these Amazon lists and stuff, which I'm super grateful for. But I've been there before with the hype. I don't care about the Amazon list. I care that someone on the other side finds the one prompt that pulls them out of whatever they need to be pulled out of right now or primes their mind to do the work that they want to do or be the husband, father, whatever the relationship is to you know thrive. Like That's what I care about. So it's, again, coming back to being trying to be as present as possible to not get lured into the Amazon list. I'll use that from a marketing perspective, obviously, but I'm not using that from my own marketing perspective in my, in my head. And and you know what, Mark? I think for our listeners, I think that's the like so important. Okay, I think because so like I'll, I'll just give you an example for myself. Um, somebody just reached out and said, Stephanie, I thought you had never done podcasts before, and I was, you know, you know me, like I'm super, I'm gracious, like I'm like I haven't, you know, I I'm really excited about a lot of the guests that I have on, and they're like, you're at one and a half percent globally in two months, and I was like, I don't look. I don't care. I don't know what it means. And you know what? Just as easily, I could be at 10% or 20%. When I got talked into doing the podcast, it was for more impact, more inspiration, for a larger reach. It was to really help people. And Mark, you know what happened, which was really funny because of your story, is my childhood was 
you had like a very loving and very sweet and mine was tumultuous. My father drowned when I was three. My mom had a complete psychotic break. I mean, all of these things. And so I was like, why does anybody want to hear from me? Like, this is the most ridiculous thing. The week before the podcast started, and you know how much work it is. Like, by the way, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I did not know. It's a good thing, right? Yeah. To not not know that. Yeah. Thank God I didn't know because I would have definitely said no. But I remember somebody reached out on LinkedIn and they they I had shared a very personal story because, you know, I'm trying to be more authentic. I'm trying to like share with people if I can do it, anyone can do it, really. And somebody basically reached out and they said, well, you know, most people that have such privilege and silver spoons can, you know, blah, blah, blah. And And my entire team was so angry. And I was like, oh, I don't feel angry. I feel sad. Like, I feel like, I feel like I want to help you and I help, I want you to understand more and how to connect and engage. And nobody could believe that I was actually going to sit down and write like a personal note to say, hey, how can I help you? Because this was not my life at all. And you too can, you know, do this. That's the thing with you, Mark. You engage everyone. Like you reach out and you make everyone feel special. How do you do this? I'm just, I mean, I'm doing my best, obviously, but I mean, that's how I want to feel in return, right? And I learned a lot with the writing as well, because my editor often would say, to give people on the other side the permission to go as deep as they can on a certain topic, you need to be vulnerable and you need to share some sort of example to, to bring that to light. And I'm just trying to do more and more of that because I'm human like the, the the rest of us, right? I mean, and it's, yeah, that whole app experience, everything about it was shitty. It felt really bad. And there's still a lot of ups and downs of, of feeling like that, that, you know, I'm trying to process as well. But at the end of the day, there's so much that was learned and there's so many incredible humans that I've been able to meet because of it that like that's, you know, like when I think of someone, I send them a message because like it just, I mean, I'm when I'm writing about this stuff, it's not, I'm not making it up. I'm doing these things, right? Because I know what it feels like. And I think so. that's the biggest connection point for the listeners is, is that this is not made up. This is not theory, okay? This is not some philosophy and you read about it and you're really connected to it. This is practiced every single day. And everybody has good days and bad days, but it's really practiced. You sit down and you journal and you talk about it and you write and you try to make better questions and create more depth and engagement with with your audience. And that takes a lot of energy and mental fortitude. And when you're exhausted, Mark, how do you recalibrate? How do you light back up? Well, I always have a list in check. And this is actually how I suggest anyone to start to figure out their mental fitness routine. And I always have a list of five to 10 things that I know for sure without question will put a smile on my face. And, you know, right now on that list is, is playing Lego with my five-year-old, for example. So here's like a real example. Last night, Sunday night, I don't know, for whatever reason, mentally I was off, like questioning things and, and whatnot. And I was doing everything possible to not go to sleep with that mindset. And it was still kind of there. But I knew in the morning I had the opportunity to restart. So I had a book. Before I even went to bed, I had a book by Robin Sharma on my desk, my journal, a pen, and a set of headphones. And I knew as soon as I get up, glass of water, I did some stretching first. This is, I don't, again, remember, I could spend all day on social media right now, just given like the the book launch. I'm not opening 
any of that until I read out of this book and apply some of that knowledge. And then within 10 minutes, the completely different mindset, right? And motivated and excited and all of this stuff. So for me, it's just, it's practicing what I'm preaching on this, on all of it, right? And knowing that, knowing that those books are the ones that will inspire, or I'm reading a biography, or I guess it'd be a memoir on Alicia Keys, for example, right now. And, you know, knowing that, wow, like just seeing the journey again, kind of what you're saying about when people write in and whatnot, like they don't know the backstory. Like I didn't know all of this backstory with Alicia Keys. And it just, for me, it leaves me feeling that she had a harder go than most people know, but she overcame. And so can I then. Right. Yeah. It's connection. It's it's normalcy. It's the foundational piece. It's like, oh, I'm like them, or oh, she's like me. Or it's just that connection. We all need so much connection and engagement, even if it's just a smile or a or a hug or just like, you know, hey, you know what? I've been there. Just like you said, you know, I make this practice myself. I reach out to three or four people I haven't spoken to in a long time and I say, you came across my mind. I, I usually try and do a specific memory that'll make them smile. And I'm thinking about you. Hope, hopefully we can connect really soon in the future. These are the micro moments that add up and create massive. This is, these are the micro moments of mental fitness training, right? That then prepare us for the big game, which is life. Like when, when you do get that moment where someone kind of throws you off balance or whatever it is, or you're emotionally charged thinking about this stuff, all of those micro moments of training then come back up and be like, oh, you recognized it. Like for me, I recognized it last night. Well, I know this book is going to change and, and start my day off on the right foot. Doesn't have Absolutely. to be any more complicated than that. It really wasn't Robin Sharma, though. You can be honest. It was me. It was because exactly. you had me in the way. It was really, you know, it was because of me. It was, I mean, Robin, he's great. Like, it's don't get right. me wrong. I mean, he's fine. Right. <laughs> I printed out, I printed a, a physical version of my calendar and I just, I saw this podcast there and I put that. This Robin will prime and then Stephanie will take it home. Yay. <laughs> So Mark, you know, um, this, this whole entire podcast is about obstacles to opportunities. So our last question for you today, before we tell the audience where they can find all of your amazing work is what is your biggest obstacle that you've been able to turn into an opportunity? Uh, You know what? Intuitively, you'd probably think that whole Keo app scenario and shutdown, but I think the biggest obstacle is, is my own mind and turning that into an opportunity. And, and again, that is through just daily work, daily work, daily training that, because it's, it's our mind that tells us if we're going to go to the gym or tells us if we're going to, you know, pursue a new idea. So for me, I'm doing everything possible, everything I know of today and, and continue to learn about to make sure that that mind is thriving more than it's in a, in a slump. Because it's not about suppressing things, but to recognize that, okay, I'm a bit off or this is bothering me. What, can I, what in the toolkit can I take out right now to rechannel, reshift, and then get into a thriving or a creation state and out of a survival state of mind? It's, it's, I try to keep it as simple as that. We're never in those two states of mind at the same time. And we're no longer running from you know tigers for our life. So... So we don't need to be in a survival state of mind as often than we are, or as we are, I should say. Mark, I am so excited for the book. Where can our listeners find all things Mark? Yes, I love it. The easiest place, one link would just be behindthehuman.com. And the book's there, the podcast is there. The book is available directly from 
Baron Fig, but also on Amazon. Audible, we'll see. I mean, it's approved, but we're waiting for them to release it. So I'm hoping that will be out on launch day, if not shortly thereafter. Apple Books, all that fun jazz. And thank you. You said this was going to be a different interview, and it it definitely is, or was, I should say. And again, just brings me right back to our first joint podcast or joint I don't even know. That thing was insane. A joint media experience, let's call it. We were just looking at each other like, like, what what is is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Such a great, great show. But thank you for bringing that energy and and starting my day on this foot. Absolutely. And I always want to be that person for you because you do that for so many other people. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to do this again with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Spin It. If you enjoyed the show today, then rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. To be featured on our weekly shout out, write us a review sharing why you love our show. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode again. If you want to learn more, follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y. S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E. M-A-L-I-K or visit my website, stephaniemalik.com. I'll see you all next week for another episode of Spin It. Enjoy this sneak peek of what's up next. I wanted to make myself, you know, into a better person because of this, you know, and it's not like I, I, I feel like looking back, like, oh, I was a horrible person before this. So that's the question I get to is like, well, how have you changed? And I would say I haven't changed much. You know, I haven't really changed much at all. I, I always felt like I was a pretty good person before this all happened. And, uh, and so I feel like I'm kind of the same person, but now I have, um, now I have this additional story. 